What's up, my builder friends? We're back, and we're bringing with us a repeat guest, Mr. Tracy Deerfelt. Tracy has appeared twice already on the podcast. This is his third time. Tracy's an insurance expert who runs Nationwide Contractors Alliance and also Wise Insure. He, in full disclosure, is also our insurance broker. Now, our insurance agent is Doug Lynch with Brookstone Group, but Tracy is the broker behind our policies. And he always has a ton of good information to share. You know we are an action-oriented podcast. We're focused on takeaways that you can implement immediately upon listening to each of these episodes. So that's one of the reasons why I always like interviewing Tracy. So in that spirit, today we're hitting some FAQs that are often asked to me and in my builder groups. So we're going to hit a few things, insurance, third-party warranty related, and more. So you guys enjoy the episode, and happy building. All right, Tracy, we're we're back for is this number three or four that we number done three. Number, number three. Number three. Okay. Three. All right. This is gonna be a short and sweet QA. Um, but as always in the world of insurance, we need refreshers. So um, I'm just gonna kick a few questions over to you and and let's get your expertise on them. So number one, um, I want to do a little bit of a primer on what it means to be a certificate holder versus an additional insured. Can you fill us in a little bit on the differences between those two? Sure. A certificate by itself is only a representation of coverage by an agency. Okay. It does not come from the uh, insurance company itself. Uh, and even on the certificate it has the word endeavor or uh, other ways by which they dilute its meaning. So it, it an auditor might look for a certificate only, and that would be a, an auditor who's not really doing a good job at, from the insurer's point of view. The additional insured is an endorsement. And in Texas, like many other states, if you mention an endorsement on a certificate, you actually have to attach a copy of the endorsement uh, so that it can be um, uh, you know, validatable. Now that in itself, is not really verifiable coverage because when you're an additional insured on uh, somebody's policy, you're merely a part of a coverage extended from that policy. That policy might, Jared, you know, you, you build residential stuff, infill stuff, may have really pertinent exclusions. Um, so, you know, if you have a, a condo townhome exclusion on your uh, concrete subs uh, policy that may come into play because sometimes you zone infill condo for for density reasons right so right. You, have, you have to double check the full policy to be effective to to get by on an audit sometimes certificates work most insurers are now requiring additional insured endorsements as well uh, so that you don't get penalized uh, with uh, paying the the insurance for the uh, subcontractor that is considered uninsured, even though they may have had insurance. It's just a paperwork error. So, 
Okay. That's, that's the basic difference. Um, there's a now, lot more to it. Tracy, why do people push back on including you as an additional insured? Is their insurer <laughs> charging them another 100, 200 bucks to add you? Is that it? Well, sure, they may be doing that um, if they didn't negotiate a proper blanket up front. Uh, sometimes they're going to be uh, pushing back on an additional insured for completed operations because they uh, are afraid of construction defect claims or their insurer will not provide it for residential uh, coverage. The other thing I want to add, Jared, though, is that much of this is meaningless unless you have a proper uh, subcontract acting as a trigger. Um, every one of these subs has exclusion B, uh, which is contractual liability. Uh, I mean, right there after intentional acts, it's exclusion B on their CG0001. It's right in there. It's not an endorsement. It's part of every policy. And if you're doing business with a subcontractor on a napkin or on a handshake, uh, it doesn't matter whether you have an additional insured. There's virtually no coverage because that contractual liability is excluded unless it's uh, validated by what's called an insured agreement, okay, which is basically an agreement in writing that falls in line with tort liability. Well, and in Texas, where we operate, the Texas Association of Builders has the subcontractor agreement and these mm -hmm. requirements that are specific and stated as part of that template it, do the other states from what you've seen include the same type of protective language for builders yeah uh, they do that triggers this uh exception yes they do uh, the, the, the key language is simple it's defend hold harmless and indemnify okay there's different ways of putting that but those are the three key words any lawyer will know how to incorporate that will trigger coverage Okay, um, so that the, the subs insurance becomes the first uh, insurance involved in defending the builder and paying the claim as opposed to the builder's insurance, uh, paying the claim and then seeking contribution from the subs insurance, which never happens uh, on time and is typically 14 cents on the dollar. So the builder gets to live with the loss on their record and the insurer of the builder ends up you know, getting very poor recovery without that subcontract in place. Okay, great information. Now, on these requirements, we've got requirements for, for subcontractors, guys that are actually working on jobs. How does it differ for people like architects, designers, engineers? Do we still need to be additionally insured on their policies? Well, there's a problem there. Um, first of all, most of these guys that are architects, engineers, and draftsmen are using the AIA uh, contract when you sign up with them. And that limits their uh, liability to you, uh, to the fees that uh, they charged you. Okay. Right. So um, that, that has to be better negotiated. Uh, and most residential builders are missing the boat on that. Um, the, the second thing is, is that they don't buy... Uh, the same kind of insurance. Uh, general liability insurance for them is slip and fall on the job site, okay? Where, you know, they it has nothing to do with uh, their flaw in design. That's professional liability. Professional liability doesn't act on an occurrence. It's a something that basically says, hey, uh, if I committed a wrongful act, uh, you know, uh, I'll have defense and indemnity. 
it does not have a provision, but rarely, ever so rarely for additional insured status. It is only triggered by contract, okay? So if you use the AIA contract with an architect, it won't trigger their insurance because of that limit of liability I just told you about, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you have to uh, get together with uh, Don or another lawyer there and say, okay, what is an appropriate contract that will trigger professional liability of my architect and engineer? Yeah. And we've got those contracts with the Texas Association of Builders and actually Don drafted those up. We're talking about uh, Don Shelton, but a lot of these guys push back on them, Tracy. And that's not oh, yeah. to say that you don't just have to have that as a requirement of working with people, but it's really interesting. The professionals such as architects, designers, engineers really push back on those. Yeah. And, and, and they have a different attitude than the subs. Okay. They, they, they feel that uh, you need them more than they need you. And in some cases that from a business model point of view is true. I'm not telling you any of this is easy. But um, if you're going to hold them accountable, it's really about the contract, not the insurance. They, and by the way, most of these guys uh, do not have uh, professional liability insurance, believe it or not. Right. Two-thirds of architects and engineers opt to go without it. Yep. Um, so getting a certificate showing that they have it is a first step. And uh, they should not bulk at that so much. Getting not signing the AIA agreement would be another incremental step, and in just simply saying, "Okay, we're not going to have that kind of agreement between us." Uh, and then, if they insist upon an agreement, you throw throw one in there that uh, favors the builder. Sure. Okay. Excellent advice. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. So, I'm going to assume. Let's hope that this is the case. That because. Our builders have listened to us harp on this before, uh, oftentimes me and you on the need for a good broker. I'm going to assume that most of our listeners already have good insurance. So if we're going with that, how important, in addition to having good insurance, are these third-party warranties that people are always marketing and trying to sell to us? Okay. Yeah, and to be clear to your audience who may or may not have listen to our previous podcast. I'm a, a managing general agent. I don't sell directly to um, builders or contractors. I work through uh, your local agent. Um, and we're fussy about the kind of coverage we offer because we don't want to be a part of the problem. Uh, so when we get to a properly insured builder, uh, the difference between warranty and liability is vast. Um, warranty is your promise of service. Okay. Um, if it's not in writing, it's like a will. Uh, the state has one for you. Okay. It's a blank check. <laughs> All right. And it's not, and it's not a good one. Yeah. So it. you can take a third party document and self-insure it. If you feel that your insurance program is strong enough and you have the solvency by which to fulfill the promises made. One of the reasons I like warranty documents is because they define the rules of the road as opposed to statute, okay? Now, many states have a right to repair, right to cure law, and they say that's the warranty. No, it goes a little longer than that. You have that 10-year statute of repose, you have Consumer Protection Acts, that becomes your warranty, and that's not very good. So you'd rather have a warranty that 
is considered reasonable and acceptable in contrast to statute. You can't have a one-year fit and finish and enforce it and say, I'm off the hook. It doesn't work like that. That flies in the face of what they call public interest. Okay. Not good. So if you have something like a one, two, 10, which is the most common structure as a document, and you choose to self-insure it, that is an alternate to using a third-party warranty. Okay. And many builders have successfully done that with maybe a few variations. You'd have to consult an attorney, a Don or anybody else that's qualified in residential construction to review the template you'd like to use. When the, um, FHA dropped the uh, third-party warranty requirement to avoid all their inspections and stuff. This was like four years ago, maybe five years ago. Uh, it really raised the question that you did, which is, hey, if I'm willing to roll the dice, why am I using a third-party warranty? Because now anybody can qualify for uh, FHA-related financing, right? Um, so the question is a really good one. I think the document element of a warranty is the most valuable clear definition, rules of the road, what to expect, making sure that the homeowner is educated to it. But when you look at the problems um, when they come up and you have dispute resolution, you could easily designate a dispute resolution center in the warranty rather than having a warranty company do it. Okay. Uh, Peter Merrill, you can look him up on the internet, uh, is usually one of the organizations referred to in all these warranties. Uh, and he, 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 all he does is construction defect. We'll call out to him. He's a good guy. Serves on a, a few of the NHB committees with me. Um, but in addition to having that, uh, uh, basically that uh, alternative dispute resolution element to the warranty, it has to be compliant. And again, all these third-party warranties out there, yeah, a little variation here or there, but um, uh, there's two basic ones, ones that use uh, set building standards, like, you know, using the NAHB building standards, I'm referring to those, and then those that use uh, the, the three U's, um, they're basically subjective words like uninhabitable, <laughs> okay, and, and I tend to veer away from those because those are subjective. One last yeah. point on warranty, Jared, uh, is it's, it's a contract. Okay. And uh, contracts require privity. Okay. Which means it's between you and your first homeowner. They have no bearing on the second or third homeowner, unless you make the warranty part of the title. And then you're probably giving up some home value uh, at that point. And when you do that, so um, they're not a cure-all. Okay. But they are an effective document for the most likely period by which a homeowner is going to a single family homeowner is going to uh, look at construction defect. Uh, whether they're funded or not, again, builders take on uh, deductibles uh, and uh, they, they know how to self-insure certain things. Warranties are no different. So sorry for the cloudy answer, but I think you wanted the minutia. So. I did. Well, and you just told me something that's a big... Uh, lesson for me and actually contrary to what i had been told before and believe which is that the warranties require privity and so they are not transferable to future owners am i understanding that right there that can be very much challenged um i think okay. that uh you know again unless they're actually made a part of the title are they yeah is that transferability 
you know, it, it, Interesting. The, benefit, the benefits of the warranty are transferable, but the exclusive remedy clause is not. I'll just make it that simple. <laughs> okay. You lose the enforcement right. ability of the exclusive remedy clause without privity. All right. Good to know. That's well, last question for you, just so we keep this episode short and sweet. Tell okay. us what you're up to these days, what's new in the insurance world, anything we need to know on that front. Okay. Well, the insurance world always changes, um, but fortunately for residential construction, for most builders, uh, we're seeing only a slight tightening in the market. We are seeing uh, some um, coverage loopholes being reintroduced. So you got to be a little more careful about what you're buying. Um, we're seeing some people uh, jump out of Texas or being more strict in Texas, for example. Now, your audience is far bigger than Texas, but I can simply say in construction defect states like uh, South Carolina, Texas, um, that there is, uh, Florida, that there is some serious tightening going on in terms of what's being offered to you. The pricing, we're seeing some aggravation, but mostly on like excess and umbrella coverage. And it's primarily driven by those contractors with fleets, okay? Um, people are awarding a lot more money per lawsuit these days, and they call it social inflation. Um, it's just a change in um, attitudes and communities about small business. It's not very favorable, and insurance industries picked up on it and adjusting accordingly. Um, but when we look at what we're doing as a Nationwide Contractors Alliance, we're introducing this summer the Construction Insurance Risk Education Certification Program. And uh, I mentioned it to you earlier. Uh, it kind of stemmed from a realization on our first episode way back when that uh, your audience is my audience says we need to get everybody on the same page with insurance. And so I put together something a little less boring than just insurance um, as far as multimedia curricula. And it's intended for agents, builders, contractors, and developers to get on the same page. So I'm not going to uh, speak beyond the kind of jargon you've had me use on your show. And I'm not going to go into any more depth than is relevant to the common basic contracting uh, that, that the audience does. And at the same time, there are there are too many insurance agents out there that really need to learn more. And so they're involved with their CE credits or continuing education credits through uh, bmfce.com. Uh, that's a continuing education firm I've been teaching with uh, for years. And then um, I'll be going through primarily uh, NEHB affiliates and other buying groups and marketing it to builders, contractors, and developers. So it's, it's a big deal, um, but I'm finding that uh, a lot of contractors like yourself and, and those in the Austin Infill Coalition are already clamoring for it because you, you don't want to be left in the dark. You want to know what insurance in plain English can be, should be, uh, and why it is. And the course will address it. Um, and it gives you real answers, you know, straight answers. None of this, um, something's changing malarkey. I mean, it's just, this is real stuff. And uh, I go into policies, I go into claims, I, I go into real situations from my 30 years of experience. And, and uh, that experience includes, of course, being an agent, 
being a distributor, but also being a guy who's written these policies and done the actuarial work behind some of this. So, I mean, I, I really try to give you the inside scoop. Um, it'll be ready at the end of July for the construction audience, Jared. Um, I'm launching it with the agents first, uh, and then the construction audience is getting a couple courses the agents don't get to take because I'm trying to level the playing field. So we're going to obviously be teaching you about what to watch out for, uh, about insurance in general, and uh, you know how, how to create um, a good uh, competitive uh, yet analytical environment by which you buy insurance. Uh, so you don't make uh, as many mistakes. Uh, so your agent isn't allowed to make mistakes, those types of things. So that's, that's what I'm up to. That's wonderful because there are so many myths that need to be dispelled, just like what we just saw about five minutes ago. I mean, I've been studying this for the business side of home building for 15 years now. And every single time I talk to you, there's something new. <laughs> that I learned. So that's going to be much needed for, uh, for our industry. I appreciate you putting that together. So you say end of July. Yeah. End of July. We'll have an announcement. Where do we go to learn more? We're going to have the announcement in July at nwcalliance.com. Okay. And then uh, SIRE is what we call it. C-I-R-E, Construction Insurance Risk Education. The SIRE certification program uh, will have its own website, um, its own functionality, of course, to make sure we can do classes uh, on demand for the construction audience. You guys are busy. You don't want to have to schedule this. Uh, and yet at the same time, I will have uh, intervals uh, in the training schedule where I'll be able to make uh, guest appearances and explain things to, to folks taking the course or have taken the course. And so it'll be a fully integrated learning platform. So it's not just a bunch of YouTube videos. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll be one of your first clients. So count me. I in. really appreciate that, Jared. Um, again, you're the, uh, Part of the inspiration is trying to help the uh, construction world um, and all the work I've done with uh, National Association of Home Builders. Um, they're coming out with an entirely different version that's in PDF format, very technical, uh, legal driven. And so the, uh, I would like to say that the SIRA certification is a, is a plain English first step. And then we could see the NEHB version due out late this year. Uh, something of an advanced uh, course offering for construction. Um, and so that's, and, and we're, we're not affiliated per se. The SIRE program is not endorsed or affiliated with NAHB. It just comes out of my work uh, in, in listening to members uh, and trying to figure out where the misunderstandings typically are uh, and what needs to be addressed in plain English. Um, I'd like to say you can probably listen to the course while driving your truck. So Good. that's exactly what we, we need to be able to learn while we've got windshield time. Yeah. That was part of the inspiration behind building Optimal. So, right. well, again, Tracy, thank you for doing that. And uh, as always, wonderful visiting with you. Well, thank you, Jared.